Now here's the funny thing about debating with yourself in your head, even as you're speaking. Um, and and you know this is this has been my experience right throughout this podcast, which has been going for more than a year and something like 222 episodes so far. Um, and I like this bit. You know, I like this effect that I'm going to describe now. I enjoy it. And um, even, you know, there's this way we humans have of making a case for something, you know. Sometimes I call them thought bubbles. You know, but you're having an idea, you know. And even as you're speaking that idea, um, it's almost impossible to not you know, kind of devil's advocate yourself. Play devil's advocacy on yourself. Play devil's advocate on yourself, you know. It's almost impossible. So you're making a case one way. And and when you're on a podcast, you're speaking with yourself. You're not speaking with someone else. Now, the funny thing is, if I was actually chatting to someone else, you know, sometimes you're making a case one way or another on something. It really doesn't matter what it is. Um, And, yeah. If the person with whom you're speaking is the sort of person you enjoy having chats with, you know, often you know you, you can hear yourself speaking, and um, and you know there are counter arguments for the things you're saying, but you kind of you know because we're a social animal, yeah, you, you more or less leave that to the other person because you know that you know if you're saying X Y Z, you know there's a counter argument that's A B C, and yeah, it's it's a way that we relate to each other where we will say X, Y, Z, yeah, but we've got a friend with us, out to coffee with us, and um, and you sort of say, ah, oh, X, Y, Z, you know? And you say, however, before you talk, I, I, I do understand there's an ABC argument to be had. You don't do that, you know what I mean? Because um, that's unsociable, you know? If you do that, you're the only one talking. And that's a podcast. Uh, But having said that, you know, when I look, I I have rip-roaring chats with people at parties, at coffee shops, everywhere else. Um, But, um, and and, and that's the approach you take. Look, sometimes you feed the other person with counter-arguments. So you say something that even you know has holes in it and all that sort of thing but you know it's designed to say right now you counter you know you come back at me it's part of um yeah it's part of building it's part of having a great conversation where um you're kind of encouraging the other person to win Uh, i'll say win you know it doesn't have to be win there's such a thing as debating but there's also such so such a thing as dialectic but there's also such a thing as comedy you know, so sometimes you feed a joke to someone else. You do that. We all do that. You know, where, you know, you, you say something where you know that that opens a door for the other person to come in with the joke. You know, but you set up that joke. Uh, two people who were, look, this is why comedy duos are so very good. You know, like um, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, you know, um, going back in time, um, Laurel and Hardy, um, who are those other ones, Abbott and Costello, you know, you kind of set the joke up for the other guy and, you know, you work as a team. Now, you don't have to have an audience to do that. For your own enjoyment, you can do that with another person. So you can sort of say, ah, oh, you know, um, 
Yeah, you can be self-deprecating. Actually, that's the art of self-deprecation, self really, is to invite someone else to have a crack at you. You know, so you might play up some foible of your own in order to give another person a chance to crack a joke at your expense. Um, and then everybody's had some fun, you know. So you do that sort of thing. And it happens in comedy and it happens in normal conversation. And I think, look, I've, I speak with a lot of people. Um, you know, I am involved in the art of conversation, believe it or not. Um, even though I'm doing a podcast here. But you can probably tell that I know how to have a chat. And, and the art of having a chat is such that you are um, even more eager for the other person to be rip-roaring than you are for yourself to be rip-roaring, you know? Yeah, you want the other person to sparkle. Yeah, because then you can bounce off that sparkle and be sparkly yourself. You know, you got double sparkly. Two sparklies are better than one, you know, and all that sort of stuff, you know. So that's the art of conversation. Look, the art of conversation is very... Yeah, we're a complex uh, animal, we humans. Um, and we, we operate on all sorts of layers and levels. Uh, but this is just one of them, you know. The, the art of, you know, handballing things to each other. You know, if you're out on the footy field, um, warming up before a game... You know, and, and, and you're part of a team where you love your teammates, you know. You're actually encouraging them to go well too. You know, like you kick the ball in such a you pop you pop it up. You know, like you pop up you, you you kick it in such a way that you know that other guy, your mate, over there, is gonna be able to do a screamer. You know, 'cause we do we've all done that, you know. When we when we when we were teenagers, my cousins and myself and brothers and all that sort of stuff and even a sister who used to be a good kick by the way you know in the era before women's football um she refused to kick like a girl my sister um she was actually probably the most sporty of us all in the family but you know what you would do is you would pop up a kick you know a nice drop punt and make it spin nicely make it sit and why were you doing that you so the other kid you know, your cousin or whatever, could take a screamer over your brother and then you'd all enjoy it. You know, that sort of thing. And conversation is like that a, a bit too. You pop one up. You know, you, you, you make a... When you're chatting with someone, you make a comment and you let it sit. You know, and you invite the other person, come on, take a screamer on that one. <laughs> yeah, this is all the good stuff, you know. Now, on a, in a podcast, you're kind of doing that sort of thing yourself. But you're having a conversation with yourself. It's a dialogue. It's, um, you know, I have gone to the extent in the past of actually creating two aliases, you know, because this is an alias with which I'm speaking now, Charlie Threadbow. But you could, you know, I've had, I had another alias called Richard. You know, you get those two guys talking to each other. You know, and we all know what that is. That's like theatre, you know, um, a one-man theatre show where, you know, and comedians do it too, where they do two voices, you know, um, um, Eddie Izzard, he's brilliant at that. He does two voices all the time. He has a conversation with himself on the stage. Um, you know, like uh, the Darth Vader uh, clip. I'm sure you know that one. In fact, just about all of Eddie Izzard's um, comedy sketches are two people talking to each other. 
you know, he does both the voices and all that sort of stuff, you know. So we can do that. And a podcast is a kind of form of that, um, where you've, you, you, you create a dialogue, you know, and um, it's enjoyable. Now, you can, when, when you're with a friend, you can have that dialogue and you, you're kind of doing what, um, you know, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore used to do for an audience, except you're just doing it for each other. You don't need an external audience. Now, I'm sure Peter Cook and Dudley Moore had those sorts of conversations. They have rippers, by the way, you know, and they feed each other with gags and all that sort of stuff. You know, like Dudley Moore says things that he knows is going to set, you know, Peter Cook off on a tangent. You know, oh, uh, rampaging Roy Slaven and H.G. Nelson um, right up there, you know, with Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. In fact, they're kind of an Australian version in my book of Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. Um, I love that style. Love it, you know. Um, now, you can do it yourself. No, you can't. Yes, you can. Like I just did then, yeah. And, um, and, um, yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, H.G. <laughs> Nelson, you know, like, for example, he would go into a rant, um, knowing full well, you know, and say outrageous things on purpose, you know, it doesn't matter what he actually believed or not, you know, but he, he and, and uh, just to give Roy an opportunity, you know, he'd say the most outrageous things, HG hey, hey, Nelson, you know, like, you know, like if, if, if he was talking about the Melbourne Cup, you know, the horses, he'd say, listen, you know, in my opinion, a horse hasn't given enough if it doesn't die on the finishing line, you know, and goes into a big rant about that, you know, I want to have, I need a horse to give 100%, I want to see that horse dead on the finishing line, you know, and then I know that horse has given it at all, you know, and he says something outrageous like that, which of course is a bit anti-Peter, you know, anti-animal rights, you know, it's comedy, don't worry, you know, and, uh, but what he's doing there is opening a door for Roy, you know, and Roy says, yeah, well, I, you know, I like to give a little bit of extra motivation at the start of the race too. Um, he says, you know, my habit, and it's worked a lot, uh, it's worked well for me, is to, uh, to come around to the front of the horse with a piece of 4B2 and, you know, give it a good whack over the head just to let it know, you know, who's boss. And, um, and there are expectations on that horse. And, uh, you know, and HG Nelson will then say, you know, good point, Roy, good point. It's all bullshit, but that's okay. But getting back to, um, you know, when you're doing a podcast, you're kind of doing a version of that as well. Yeah, this has been my experience anyway. Um, you're, you're saying something in an episode like the episode previous to this one, for example, and the episode previous to that one, and the episode previous to that one too. For the, well, for the last three or four episodes, I've been sort of arguing one way and then arguing the other way and then going back and then coming forward again. You know, almost having a dialogue between episodes. And um, even as you're speaking them, you can hear your, you know, you can hear your other self thinking, my goodness, I can I can feel the next episode forming, even as I'm speaking this, you know, because uh, this, this argument I'm making here, um, this argument I'm making here, you know, I could easily go the other way on this, you know, I sound right, 
you know? I'm making myself sound right, because you always do that. You always make yourself sound right, because that's the art of conversation too. But you know, you fully expect someone to call you out. You know, I heard, um, I heard just the other day, my daughter played it for me, that debate between Boris Johnson and Mary Beard. You know, Rome or Greece, you know, Rome versus Greece. Great debate, you know. Boris Johnson got up, stood up, and uh, made a rip-roaring argument for Greece. Uh-huh. And uh, and then Mary Beard, hard act to follow, by the way, Boris Johnson. Um, Mary Beard got up afterwards and said, "Well, very interesting that you should say all that." Now, if if you were just if you listen, if Boris Johnson had to sat down and that was the end of the discussion, which is the way things happen. You know, which is the way people want it on social media, by the way. They want to be able to make a, a case, you know, a rant, but then they don't want it, uh, anyone to come in for the, you know, for the opposite case, you know what I mean? They, 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 uh, but Boris Johnson, he made a big case for the Greeks, you know, and, um, and, and then he sat down, but what was, what was the joy that he was looking for? You know what he wanted? He wanted Mary Beard, you know, to slice up, slice and dice his arguments. He, you know, he, he was there because he wanted Mary Beard to smash him, you know, because that's where he gets his joy, you know, in making a brilliant case for Greece, but then having someone else, equally brilliant, smash it all down and tear it to pieces. And then at the end of it, you know, Mary Beard and Boris Johnson are loving each other. This is a kind of um, art of debate, dialectic, discussion, conversation that, you know, um, social media, you, uh, the actual platform or forum that is social media, you know, kind of doesn't encourage that, which is um, one of the big pities of social media. And, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons, that, you know, I think that social media will bring us all down, you know, because it's... Um, it doesn't make the art of disagreeing with each other enjoyable. You know, you either fully, you know, you either want, you either have a, uh, what do they call it, echo chamber of people who um, vigorously agree with each other, you know, in an echo chamber, or are fighting against each other. You don't have this Boris Johnson, Mary Beard situation where two people are finding joy in disagreeing with each other. And in fact, you know, Boris Johnson, in making a case for Greece, you know, he was smashing Rome, by the way, he had written a book extolling the virtues of Rome before that debate, you know, barracking for Rome, you know, um, for example, in um, his opening statements, address, you know, um, arguments, um, he said, um, Greek writers, you know, the best in the world, you know, Roman writers, nothing, you know, um, how can you compare a Roman writer to a Greek writer, and he listed them all, you know, um, all the great, great, I won't, you know, Aristophanes and uh, Euripides and all that sort of stuff, you know, Um, and he listed them all, and he said, now, all right, I'll put them all up for Greece, now, tell me about the Roman um, playwrights. You know, and, and so on, and writers. Nothing, you know. We've got um, Virgil, and that's about it, he said, you know. And even Virgil, what's Virgil against Homer? 
you know, and all this sort of stuff, you know what I mean? Um, but then Mary Beard stood up and she said, oh, you know, um, a, a prominent British politician I know of um, actually once uh, wrote that um, he believed that I think the third section of Virgil's, you know, uh, Aeneid um, was the best writing in history. And then Boris Johnson Johnson started laughing and said, I think that was me. <laughs> and it was, you know, he'd written a book about that, you know, and in a book he'd written just prior, so he knew about this, you know, he'd written that, you know, his favourite writer was Virgil, whereas he had just stood up and said that, you know, how can Virgil compare to Homer, you know what I mean? Um, um, you know, so you might say he was lying, but actually what he was doing was being sophisticated. Now, oh, by the way, can you imagine Donald Trump, you know, getting up on stage and engaging in a debate like that? Now, America does not tend to throw up prime ministers of the quality, of, you know, of Boris Johnson, as far as, you know, having a, an education, at least, on, you know, grasp of history and all that looks yes obviously some presidents did have, but um these days especially we're getting presidents the likes of which you know like donald trump but i, I hear Dwayne the rock johnson is the third most likely president as the next president of america it's absolutely ridiculous you know whereas in australia or in um england we have prime ministers that can that have many many strings to their bow um they're sophisticated thinkers and philosophers and you know everything you know whichever side of politics they're on you know we had gough whitlam who was a hellenophile just like uh boris johnson is you know like loved all the greek stuff you know and boris johnson's a conservative and whitlam was you know on the left side of politics and so on and so forth you know um i, I heard kevin rudd arguing about something the other day about you know china matters china and uh, look he speaks mandarin mandarin fluently you know you don't get world leaders you don't get leaders of america that are of that quality you know, who can argue like Paul Keating can argue, you know, and all that sort of stuff, you know, not the same calibre, you know, or, you know, even John Hewson or John Howard or whatever, these are all, you know, and Tony Blair, you know, you have this spectre of, you know, someone like George W. Bush, who can't even say the word terrorist, you know, he thinks it's T-E-R-R-R-R-R-R-S-T, you know, um, engaging John Howard and Tony Blair to support him. You know, whereas, uh, you know, and John Howard and Tony Blair were ten times the um, thinkers and speakers and politicians that George W. Bush was, you know. But, you know, they, they've got the big guns. Um, so that all that's that. Um, I'm, I'm, I've arrived at my destination. Um, but I've, I found myself... Look, I wonder if I can just squeeze in what I was going to say. You know, you know, this... Uh, yeah, I've got to stop now, unfortunately. Uh, but what I was going to say, uh, and what prompted this entire episode, was the joy of that sort of dialogue is missing in modern discourse, I think. And I think a lot of the blame for that is uh, lies with social media. People are losing the joy. You know, I won't say the ability to speak, you know, to have a good conversation. But, you know, my, myself, I'm running out of people to talk to, so I've ended up talking to myself a lot, 
Yeah? And by the time I'm 90, I'll be talking to myself all the time. You've seen that in action with old and senile people, haven't you? But I've got in early. You know, I'm starting already. You know? But um, what I'm getting at is, you know, and I, I, I've noticed this as a pattern in my episodes, that I'm, I'm doing this with myself, <laughs> so to speak, you know. Um, you know, I make an episode about... Um, uh, and it's not. This is not about Black Lives Matter or something. You know, that's the um, that's the cause at the moment. That's um, consuming the world. But that's a whole other episode. The fact, the way these things can consume the whole world at the expense of everything else at any given time. We had the environment last time. But what I'm saying is, uh, for example, I made a case for um, white English boys like the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, um, Elton John, David Bowie, and all the rest of them, you know, ACDC, and all those sorts of guys, Led Zeppelin, having stolen black man's music, because I was making a case for Black Lives Matter, you see, you know, having stolen, you know, the blues, and all that, um, and, uh, you know, and even rock and roll, which I think was started by black people, really, you know, and white people came in and made all the money out of it, you know. Now, if you if you were an African-American uh, listening to my previous episodes, it, it would have felt like I completely wrapped that argument up and put a ribbon around it and lipstick on it. It would have felt like that, you know, because I made a really good case for the fact that all these bands, like the Beatles and all that sort of stuff, you know, they took the black man's music and then they made the money out of it. And the black men, you know, and women, but mostly black men, um, had to sit back and watch all those guys be superstars on the back of their music, you know. Um, if you were an African-American listening to that previous episode of mine, and I was conscious of this as I was saying it, because I am a bit of a rock and roll historian, you would have thought, wow. And, and I even felt the fury, started to feel the fury, you know. Because you hadn't heard the, uh, you know, you haven't heard any counter-argument to that point, because I was I was making a single point, yeah. But even as I was speaking, I was thinking, oh, there's another point to be made here, though, you know, uh, because um, yeah, it's what, what the English boys did with the black man's music, you know, they took it in d- new directions too, you know, and the Who as well. A lot of them, a lot of these bands, mostly English, you know, that became the the mega supergroups, you know, and um. And, uh, you know, and that was missing from the previous episode. But anyone listening to that, if you wanted to be a Black Lives Matter sort of person, listening to that other episode, you, you wouldn't want, you'd want this episode that I'm speaking now to be deleted because you don't want that counter-argument, you know? And the counter-argument would be something like, and I'm not, I'm not going to make it fully, but, you know, the Beatles, you know? I was talking about the Beatles and Little Richard, for example, but the Beatles took that kernel of you know, black man music, rock and roll and all that sort of stuff and blues and then took it in directions that were absolutely spectacular that Little Richard was never going to be able to take it into, you know. Um, and, you know, and it might have been cultural, you know, it's not, it's not about genetics or anything like that, but, you know, um, it's a, it becomes a fusion then, you know, because when the English took on rock, you see, the American, well, the white Americans weren't taking it anywhere. In fact, rock and roll had died in America by 1960, and I mean the white guys too. So it's nothing to do with skin colour. But the English boys had a cultural, an extra cultural kick that they were going to bring to rock and roll. And when rock and roll escaped across to England, 
you know, America didn't even know that was happening. You know, they got a big shock where the Beatles came back and gave them their own music back, um, but took it in new directions, the likes of which had never been heard before, you know. Um, and, you know, to a certain extent, it became white man's music then, you know. It's not, it wasn't just a plain theft. It was a theft of, you know, the initial $10. But the way the Beatles turned it into a thousand dollars and then a million dollars and then a billion dollars was very much down to the Beatles and their cultural, you know, genius. Yeah, because it became rock and roll became a rock and roll English fusion then, you know. It wasn't just rock and roll anymore, it was British rock and roll. Yeah. So they took it in a new direction. And all the English boys did that. And girls, not many of them. Yeah, the whole yeah, all of them. Yeah. Um yeah, the kinks, the hollies, all of them, you know. Um, and that was missing from my previous episode. See, my previous episode indicated, made the suggestion, you know, because I was going very, you know, I was making a case for Black Lives Matter and the way the white man steals everything the black man's got, you know, and then profits off it, you know. But th that would almost suggest that what I was saying there is that they were taking the, what the black man had, holus bolus, and just reselling that, appropriating it as is. But it wasn't, you know, what the Beatles were producing, you know, and, you know, Elton John and David Bowie and all that sort of stuff, T-Rex, you know, and then the whole progressive rock, you know, genre of the 1970s, for example, you know, all that stuff, Pink Floyd, you know, all these British boys, you know, what, what they were doing with rock and roll is, you know, it was like a shovel that had had its handle replaced and its blade and then had been developed so much that, you know, far from being just a mere shovel, you know, it was a whole front-end loader with moving parts, you know. They took it into a, an entirely new direction and all that sort of stuff and that was never going to happen um, back in America, but, you know, via the white boys or the black boys back over there, you know. Um, so, um, all girls, you know, um, and that was missing from my previous episode. Now, as I'm speaking this, I can think of a counter-argument back again, you know, where if I think like a black man, for example, I don't mind using black and white at the moment because we're in the middle of Black Lives Matter as an issue in the world at the moment that's consuming the entire world. Listen, it'll pass and we'll be back on the environment soon and I'll go back to saying African-American and all that sort of stuff, you know. But at the moment, everything's black and white. That's what, that's what we're doing in the world at the moment. So, you know, when in Rome, right. Now, um, so, you know, I can argue against what I'm saying here now again, you know, but social media isn't able to do that well. You know, I'm doing it all right now, you know. So, you know, to a certain extent, you know, because I suggested in the previous episode that Paul McCartney made his billions by stealing the black man's music and then selling that. You know, but the fact, around what has really made Paul McCartney a billionaire or multi-billionaire it's nothing to do with that you know, he left the black man's music behind by and large you know, in 1963 as soon as he started branching out himself with his own ideas that were nothing like rock and roll they were miles beyond that you know, he fused it with English culture and created something completely new and that was the genius of the Beatles, you know. Every year they'd find a winning formula and then throw it away and come up with a new winning formula. They were inventing something. You know, so how can you say they were stealing something when they were inventing something? Look, they, you know, they did love the blues. 
and they did love rock and roll. But it's not quite as simple as I, I, I made it out to be. But then again, I'm having a dialogue with myself. You know, I'm not trying to be right. You know, I'm just saying one thing and I'm saying the other thing. And uh, to that extent, you know, I've just had... Um, you know, I've been the other Charlie. You know, because the previous episode was speaking, spoken by a guy called Charlie. Um, and, and now this episode has been spoken by another guy called Charlie. Look, poor old Charlie's talking to himself. And there's a reason for that. Yeah, because he doesn't know anyone else who can maintain these conversations <laughs> as well as he can maintain them with himself. He's flying solo at the moment. All right, then. There's your next episode, Charlie. Oh, thanks, Charlie. <laughs>